As Nick mentioned, 1983, 35 years ago, I was a little older than he was. I had turned seven in 1983, so, you know, I, I do remember bits and pieces of, of that time. And uh, as we think back to 1983, as I was thinking, you know, kind of preparing my sermon, I looked up a few things. You can go ahead and go to the next screen. Some of the things I discovered, you could buy a brand new Chevy Chevette. For seven grand. How many of you ever had a Chevette in your day? I see several. How many still have? No. Hopefully no one. Uh, A gallon of milk was $2.20, which hadn't gone up a ton. And a gallon of gas is $1.10. Some of us really wish that we could still pay $1.10. There's some other things I discovered. Go ahead to the next one. Ladies, this was high fashion. Looks good, right? Of course, guys, this was us. Go to the next one, you know. I'm actually a little jealous, maybe just having that much hair. I might get rid of the, you know, business up front, party in the back. But there you go. There's, there's, there's 1983. But go ahead. That's uh, when Cornerstone Bible Fellowship began. And most of you are like me. You, you came along somewhere along the way. You haven't been here from the beginning. There are several folks. If you have been here and you are one of the founding members, would you stand up? Is there anybody here today? We got some over here, right here in the back. You go ahead. That means, hey. There you go. And everyone else, somewhere along the way, I've been here for a few months, some of you years, maybe a decade or two, some, it may be your first day. And if that's the case, thank you for being here this morning. But Cornerstone, I, I've, I've found out a little bit about the history. It, it started, go ahead to the next one, to Indian Hills Baptist Church. It's no longer Indian Hills Baptist Church. I went and visited them this week. I think it's North, North View at this point. But there were about 30 families, I think, around that many that felt God calling them to start a church. And so they began, if you've ever been part of a church plant, the process of figuring out where you're going to go. And so after Indian Hills, they went to the next place. Go to the next screen. This place. And if it's over by the school there off of, is it Bear Paw? I think is the name of the road. It was a Seventh-day Adventist church. It's not that anymore, but it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And if you know anything about them, they, they meet on Saturday. So it works out really well to rent the place out on Sunday to a church that meets on Sunday. So they met there for a while, and I think things went okay, but eventually they got the boot. And so they moved on to the next place. Go to the next screen. A big field. I went to a big field. Well, no, it wasn't a big field at the time. That's a bowling ball. Now, for those of you who don't know, I bowled in a league for 10 years as a kid. So I, I kind of wish maybe we still met in a bowling alley because after I got done preaching, we could, you know, throw a few frames there. But they met in a bowling alley that is now a field. So there's nothing to take a picture of. Although it'll be a, a strip mall soon. You know, we don't have enough of those. There'll be another one of those very soon. But after this, they went to the next place. They went to that church, which at that time was this church, not that church. It's now that church where this church is, you got what I'm trying to, I had to do that. You know I had to do that. But they met at that, that church. And uh, in fact, Cornerstone sold this church to that church. And so now it's that church and this church is here. And you can go to the next one and I, I'm losing it there. I'm, I'm done. We're here. Hey. And I could have put a picture in here of a Daewoo car to give you a sense of this was at one time a car dealership. So bowling alley car dealership and everything else. But here we are, 35 years as a church. And I've been privileged to be the pastor here for a very small fraction of the time. 
But as we kind of stop on, on a day like this, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 4. And in Joshua chapter 4, we're going to, to look at this passage of Scripture, and there's something that takes place, and then, you know, the rock will come into play, you'll see very quickly. For the nation of Israel, as God is moving in, in their, their lives, as God is moving in the nation of Israel, he tells them to do something with some rocks, to build a reminder, to build something to remind them of, of who he is, what he's done for them. And so as we pause here today in our 35th anniversary we're going to do a little bit of the same thing. Because as, as Nick said during the announcement time, it's not the name of the church. It's not any of that. It's, it's Christ. That's why we're here. That's the significance of everything that we've done up to this point. And it will be the significance of everything we do from here on out. And so if you've turned to Joshua chapter 4, to get an understanding of, of what's going on in this passage of Scripture, Moses was the guy that God chose. To, he used him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Series of 10 plagues, the Israelites are slaves and God delivers them from Egypt. They go through the Red Sea and the Red Sea collapses on the Egyptians and they're free and clear. God gives them the, the 10 commandments and they're supposed to go into the promised land and they get to the promised land and there they lose faith. They don't trust or believe that God is going to deliver the promised land to them and so God punishes them and says, listen, you're not going to go in. You're, this whole generation, you're going to wander around in the desert for the next few decades, 40 years, until you die off. Your kids, I'm going to let them get in, but you, you're not going to make it. And that's exactly what happens. For 40 years, they wander in the desert. And as they die off one by one, Moses finally goes, Joshua takes over. And so Joshua is now in charge, and he's leading this next generation of Israelites to the promised land. And they get to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River kind of, in a way, marks the boundary. This is, on the other side is the promised land. This is the moment that they have lived their lives for. And as we get to chapter 4, they're getting ready to cross. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are kind of the description of this. And we're going to see that God gives them a specific command. He does a great miracle, and then he tells them, I want you to do something so that your kids never forget. They never forget what I've done for you. And so if you would, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but if you would stand in the honor of God's word, I'm going to read the first seven verses. I'll touch on some of the other parts of the chapter, but the first seven verses give you the idea of what's going on. It says, when all of the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan. From the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon your shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. When your children... Ask in a time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this account. And Lord, the ability to pause and remember your goodness, your provision, how you provide for your people. Lord, I would thank you for this church and how it has provided for so many people. 
because of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So God tells him to build a pile of stones. And he says, this is going to be a reminder to your kids. Kids are notorious, you know, they see something. What's that? And so God says, this is what I want you to do. And so as they they pause to remember God's provision here in the 35th anniversary of our church, we're going to pause to remember God's provision. And so as these kids would ask the question, what are those piles of rocks about? They wouldn't just say, well, that's just God got us through the Jordan, but it would be everything that goes along with it. One of the aspects, as we go through, there's four points I'm going to look at today. The first one would be, these stones reminded them that God went before them. He went ahead of them. He led the way. As I told you, they got to the the edge of the Jordan River, and they're about to cross over into the Promised Land. This is everything these, these people had been living for. This was what their lives were all about. You can imagine their parents, who were prevented from going into the Promised Land, probably talked to their kids about this. It probably was drilled into them the entire time. Hey, guys, you know how his parents are. When we were younger, we did this stupid thing, and we didn't listen to God, and guess what it cost us? We have to wander around here forever, so don't you do that. And so for 40 years, they hear that same advice. All of us have heard advice from our parents for a long, long time. I'm doing it now, and hopefully my kids listen better than I did. But as you get there, you're going to cross over into the Jordan, or cross over the Jordan. Now, they did the same thing. That their parents had done. They had sent some spies into the land. These spies had gone to the city of Jericho. Jericho was a walled city. It was impressive for the day and age that they they lived in. I'm sure they had warriors. They had people that could fight. And here are the Israelites. these, These people that are now adults. They were kids. All they really know is just wandering around in the desert. They weren't warriors. They weren't fighters. They didn't have a place that they had defended for many, many years. Yet they knew when they crossed over this water, it wasn't all theoretical anymore. It was business. We're going in to fight some battles. People could die. But what we read that God says is he doesn't just say, all right, get across the water any way you can. He's going to do this miracle and stop the water. And this was a time when the Jordan was flooding. Last week, some guys, we went to the float the buffalo, and there were parts where, you know, we, we could walk across to the water, barely got over our toes. That wouldn't have been quite as impressive as a stopping of the water. This is the flood stage. And God says the ark and the priests are going first. The ark of the covenant, when the priest's feet hit the water with the ark, the water started to stop. And they walked out to the middle. Now, the ark of the covenant represented for the Israelites God in their presence. They didn't worship the ark, but the ark was central. God, it was a, it called the mercy seat on the top. It was in the middle of the tabernacle, eventually the, the middle of the holy of holies in the temple. It represented God's presence among his people. And so for them, it's the picture of God saying, I'm telling you to go into the promised land, but I'll show you the way. I'll go first and watch the water spread. Some of these people would have remembered. They would have been alive when the Red Sea opened so that they could escape Egypt. That was to get away. Now the waters are parting for them to go in. God went first. It's intimidating. I've been a part of a church plant. I've helped to get one going. It's not easy. I've learned I, when I was in seminary, I worked for a church that helped church planters. And I've learned that about 5 to 10% of church plants make it a couple of years. The other 90 to 95% just don't go very far. And for those that were part of starting Cornerstone, I don't know if they knew that at the time. They would have been like, well, forget this. Because it's expensive. It costs money. You have to find a place to, to meet. People don't just let you show up with 30, 40, 50 people. 
Then you have to find people to serve. You have to continue to do this week after week. And there are people that are going to come and go. It's tough. And 35 years later, you think, well, okay, we've arrived. You know, now we got a used car dealership. But you never really do. There's always something ahead. And it can be scary. I'm sure as the kids would ask about that pile of rocks, Mom, Dad, what are those pile of rocks? Well, son, daughter, that's when God parted the Jordan so we could come in here. We were scared. We didn't know what was on the other side. But God went first. God led the way. God led the way for this church. They felt called by God to start this. This place. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people have been saved through the ministry of this church. Missionaries have been sent all over the world. With God's blessing, it will continue on because he leads the way. It's been said that God doesn't send us where he hasn't already gone, and there's a lot of truth to that. God went before them. The second thing we see in this little account is that the stones would remind them that God was in their midst. I want you to look in verse 10 real quick. As it, This is kind of a little later on, but it's given an account as they went through. It says, the people passed over in haste. I always love the, the way the Bible, it's very just kind of, here's the facts. It means they booked it. They ran. They were getting across as fast as they could get across. And I've always thought, wouldn't it be, you know, when the water, the Red Sea or here, the Jordan River, it'd be, it'd be weird, wouldn't it, to cross over? You know, you see the jokes where the guy's got the fishing pole and the water's going, you know, he's because it's the water's supposed to be like this and the water's like this. You probably want to stick your finger in and be like, what, what's that like? But you want to get across because you go, you know, water's like this. It's supposed to be like this. And I don't know when it's going to come back like this. And I don't want to be in here when it happens. And so they're going across as fast as they can. And as they're in the middle of it, what would they see? The ark. It says in here earlier that they were supposed to stay back from the ark. But when they passed through, they would have to get close to it. They'd have to see it. They'd have to look at it and say, God's with us. The water's back, not because of us, but because of him. The Bible talks about God being our refuge, our strength, our strong tower, our mighty fortress. David said it over and over in the Psalms that we go to him because he is our refuge from all of the things going on in this world. It is a scary time. Our culture seems to be not getting better. I mean, I'm not going to get into all the politics of it, but you've watched this week. It's not a pleasant thing at all, no matter what you think. I was reading as I was kind of preparing this sermon about generation. I think it's called Y or Z. They pick different letters. That's actually the one that comes after the millennials. That's the one my kids, I have an 11-year-old on down. That's that generation. And the belief is that about 10% at best will claim any allegiance to Christ. 10%. And that doesn't mean that they're actually born-again evangelical Christians. It just means they even have any sort of claim to Christ by the time they're in their teens and 20s. Our culture, is it's scary. It's scary as a pastor, as a father, as a follower. And sometimes we we, we can forget. And I got to remember, just as, as these people would have remembered that God was in their midst... As the kids would have asked, what about those stones? They would have said, listen, as we crossed over the Jordan, we passed by the ark. We passed by, and, and God, we knew God was the one holding the waters back. God was the one leading the way. 
We can trust him in son, daughter. You're going to go through life. You're going to get scared. You're going to look at the world. You're going to get worried that it's all falling apart. You're going to have things happen in your life with your family, with your friends, with your faith. As we sang, you're going to be prone to wander. But God's in your midst. As I said, God doesn't send us where he hasn't already gone. Well, also, God doesn't send us where he still isn't there. The stones reminded them that God was in their midst. The third point. The stones would have reminded them that God placed them together. It's emphasized several times in here, the 12. There were 12 tribes. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had a whole bunch of kids. He had 12 sons that become the 12 tribes. And I won't get into all of the half tribes and this and that. But that family becomes the nation. But they never lose sight of the fact that they're 12 tribes. And God goes to specifically tell Joshua, I want a guy from each tribe, a representative of each tribe, each of them to get a rock. Not 13, not 11, I want 12. And when they bring them out, we're going to make a pile of those 12 rocks. And it would be a reminder that God put them together. It would be an important thing that was often overlooked. Not long after the book of Joshua, and they do eventually conquer, for the most part, the promised land, we go to the book of Judges. And if you ever want a soap opera-esque book, read the book of Judges. It is good and then horrific. And often the tribes are at war with each other. Most of the judges weren't over all of the tribes, just certain ones here or there. They would have battles and fights with each other. Eventually they become a kingdom with Saul and David and Solomon. But after Solomon, once again, the tribes split up. They fought. Wars killed each other. A few months ago or weeks ago, I preached through the book of Haggai. That's a book that comes after the second captivity. The, the, the nation of Israel is made slaves again by Babylon. And eventually they get to go back and, and, and build up their nation. They don't really fight amongst themselves much after that. But they fought all the time. And so probably when those kids would say, what are those piles of rocks? Why are there 12 of them? And mom or dad would explain, well, that's the 12 tribes. And, and we need to probably do a better job of remembering that God put us together. Even in the New Testament, Jesus, when he prayed the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he talked overwhelmingly about unity, that they may be one, that his disciples, his followers would be one. As we read the New Testament letters, Paul, James, Peter, they talk to these churches and they say, listen, be careful. Don't fight too much. You'll have your disagreements, but if you get, let it get out of hand, it can be destructive. The book of Philippians even names names. Two women. I won't go down that path, but he names them. There's a realization that God sits there and says, but you don't forget that I put you together. Now, people come and go. I mean, you might not be here forever. I know we have a lot of military people that come and go. But while you're here at Cornerstone, you're a member here, these are the people that God gave you. And as they would look at those pile of rocks, they'd say, look around at all of the other people. This is the nation that God gave you. God gave us the laws. God gave us the Ark of the Covenant. God put us together, and one day the Messiah is going to come from us. And now that we're on the other side, we are believers that Jesus Christ died for us. He died to save our sins. Old, young. Black, white, rich, poor. We're here together because of Christ. We're unified that way. 
Now, obviously, we have disagreements from time to time, but we work towards unity. We're reminded that God put us together that way. Those rocks would have served that purpose. The fourth and final point of this pile that I'd like to just examine this morning is that the stones reminded them that God had a plan. God had a plan. If you look over to verse 14, it says this, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Joshua, as I had mentioned earlier, becomes the, the leader after Moses. He's been installed before this. He's, he's been the leader for a period of time here. But this is that point where the Bible kind of reminds us that at this point, the people really said, all right, it's Joshua. He's the guy. And I don't believe it's because of anything in particular about Joshua. It's because they saw that God was working through him. There would have been a sense when Moses died that they would have wondered, what in the world are we going to do now? It's all they knew. I mean, Moses was the guy. He was the guy when they, if any of these kids would have been even very small children when they were in Egypt, they'd be like, all they remembered is him. He's the guy that with the 10 plagues, he's the guy that got us through the Red Sea. When we wandered around for 40 years, he was the guy. He's gone. What are we going to do? One of the most important verses of this whole book is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Verse 1 says, after the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. This is verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get up. In many ways, it reminds me of a coach with a football team. You know, the, the quarterback gets hurt. What are we going to do? Who's the backup quarterback? Well, this guy, get out there. It wasn't anything in particular about Joshua. It is God was leading the nation. They saw God's mantle on Joshua. They saw that God was working through him. They knew that God had a plan. It wasn't the person. It was who they worshipped. That's why I like when the way God says it in verse 2. Moses, what? The most important part of that are the next two words. Moses, my servant. God was not taken aback because Moses was dead. He wasn't up there going, oh man, what am I going to do? Moses is gone. He went, well, Joshua's next. And after Joshua, he'd be the next guy. There are times in 35 years, I'm sure, in this church, for some of those that have been here from the get-go... And all along you go, what are we going to do? This family, what if they left? What if this pastor's gone? This ministry leader, this elder, whatever, what are we going to do? Well, if it's up to a person and that's all that matters, we're doomed. But the stones would remind them that God is who led them in. God is who made them a nation. God is the one that gave them everything that they needed. And so when those kids would look at that pile of rocks, they would say, listen, at the end of the day, whether it's Moses or Joshua or David or Zerubbabel, for those of you who remember Zerubbabel, As long as God was on the throne, they were going to be okay. It's no different in our church. I won't be here forever. Hopefully the church lasts for 100 years and is in shape as I'd like to believe. I couldn't live that long, even if that was the case. But as long as it's Christ, it's the head of the church, you're good. Good. 
Now, when we think of these stones and what they represent, and we think of this little stone that we've been given, in a minute here, we're all gonna, I'm gonna have you get up and I'll explain it here in a minute. We're gonna make a pile, kind of like what they made back then. But it's gonna remind us of something. It won't stay here forever, but we have cameras, so there you go. You can take pictures of things. and eh. But to remind us of the same types of things, the stones reminded them that God went before them. We're reminded that Jesus Christ went before us. One of the great truths is Jesus died and rose from the dead. Actually, the greatest truth is that Jesus died and rose from the dead. As we live our lives, people say the only two things are death and taxes. Well, you can get out of taxes. You might go to prison, but you can get out of taxes. But you can't escape death. It's coming. But Jesus went first and he said, but it doesn't have to be the end. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. That's what the Bible teaches us. When he rose from the dead, it was a picture that those who follow him, what he promised to you too, will rise. He went before us. Those stones reminded them that God was in their midst. We're reminded that Jesus is in our midst. Remember the great commission in Matthew? Does everybody remember that? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You remember the last part? And I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know where you're, you're, it's gonna lead cornerstone or where we're headed, where you're headed as a, in your life spiritually where God is taking you. But remember this, he's with you. He's there. Those stones were reminded them that God placed them together. We're reminded that God put us together at this church. I've been talking about church membership. I've been talking about why we're together. That even in the short period of time I've been here, I've seen people come alongside me, help me in my spiritual journey. They're praying for me. They ask me about how things are going in my life. They check up on my family, and I've seen it happen with others in here. One of the most important things I, I emphasize to each person here, find a life group. Find a smaller group of people that you can connect with, that can be there when you need them. And you can be there for them when they need you. Those stones reminded them that God had a plan. We're reminded that God has a plan for us. He had a plan for the past 35 years. He's got a plan for the next 35 years. And so what we're going to do is take these rocks and we're going to build a pile here in a minute. But before we do, I want one last thing to look at in Joshua chapter 4. Look at verse 21. says in verse 21, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you'll let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which dried up for us until we passed over. So that, this is why. Why did God do it? All the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and you may fear the Lord your God forever. We're not reminded just for ourselves. We are reminded because God has placed cornerstone here as a beacon of light to the world that the Lord is mighty. The Lord is great, and the Lord is powerful. We live our lives not just to sit there and say, look at what God has done for me, but to show the world this is what God does. He saves. There are people here that God has brought from the brink of disaster and relationships in their lives. He has rejuvenated them. And we tell the world that. So this is what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. 
after I get done praying, the band's going to come up here and they're going to sing a song. But while they're singing this morning, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to go by section. This won't take forever. I'm going to go by section. You're going to bring your rock. So get your rock. Get your hands dirty. We're going to come up here, and I'm going to start it. We're going to just kind of make a pile. doesn't have to be pretty. We're going to make a pile. And the pile is just kind of, as you look at it, it's just a little bit, like I said, we can take pictures of it. A reminder of what God has done here at Cornerstone.